Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, Lost and Found Four Times a Marine is Still Missing. And I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the Foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on YouTube or Audio Burst, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. Stay tuned while we tell you an incredible tale about a missing Marine who, despite being found four different times, today remains on the list of our missing in action from World War II. We want to dedicate today's episode to our loyal listeners in Chilliquin, sure Chilliquin or Chilliquin, Oregon. Some of you there are just today hearing about one of your own hometown heroes a rock-solid Marine who did you proud, and he deserves to come home to you. Start the bandwagon. Let's start the bandwagon rolling to bring him back home. And now, on with our show. Sometimes, we just want to bang our heads against a wall in frustration and what we find during our investigations of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Today's episode is a real doozy. And instead of a head-scratcher mystery, it's a head-banger to understand why this missing American hero has not yet been identified and returned home to his family. Corporal John Silas Spence was a member of D Company, that's Delta Company, or Dog Company, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. When he climbed down the huge rope nets draped over the gray-painted sides of the transport ship USS Sheridan, at about 1.30 in the afternoon of 20 November 1943. Corporal Spence dutifully took his place in the Higgins boat, or also known as a LCVP, that's Landing Craft Vehicle or Personnel, that was designated to land him on a fire-swept area known as Red Beach 2, on the island of Basio in the Tarawa Atoll. Through a series of incredible communication failures, Corporal Spence's entire battalion was forced to spend all day and all night floating outside the reef without being ordered to land. Corporal Spence was no doubt nauseous from seasickness and exhaust fumes, probably dehydrated and generally miserable from his long ordeal in the open craft. Shortly after sunrise, oh, about 5.30 in the morning, on the second day of the invasion, 21 November 1943, Corporal Spence's unit was finally given orders to land. Their orders said to land behind A Company, B Company, and C Company. In four waves of landing craft vehicle personnel, LCVP or Higgins boats, each company struck the reef hundreds of yards from the beach, beginning at about 6.15 in the morning. A and B companies were heavily mauled by the Japanese defenders with a hail of fire from artillery and machine guns. While C Company was attempted to land under the same vicious fire, Marine commanders called in naval gunfire from offshore ships and air attack 
in an attempt to suppress the Japanese resistance. By the time Corporal Spence's unit began to land on the far western end of Red Beach 2, very close to the boundary of Red Beach 1, the naval shelling and bombing began to take their toll on the Japanese defenders. The front front ramp of each LCVP was lowered to allow the Marines to wade the remaining distance to the beach. When the ramp was lowered, the Marines stepped off into warm water that was between waist and shoulder deep. Soon, many began collapsing as a result of being hit by heavy machine gun fire. Others stepped into deep shell holes beneath the water and were drowned by the weight of the heavy equipment they were carrying. As the survivors struggled to wade 500 yards over a quarter of a mile onto shore, they were raked by vicious fire from the partially sunken hulk of the Japanese freighter on their flank, the Sadu Maru, upon which the Japanese had stationed numerous machine guns. The scattered Marines from the 1st Battalion who finally made it to the beach struggled to find cover in shell holes and behind remnants of a coconut log seawall. There, they dug in individually and in small groups to await reinforcements. As the day passed, the Marines attempted to reorganize themselves as best as possible. B Company held the right flank with A Company in the center and C Company spread out thinly along the left flank. D Company, Corporal Spence's company, filled in the line anywhere they could find. None of the units were very far from the water's edge along the beach. Corporal Spence's unit attempted to attack westward and inland, but despite heavy fighting all day, they made very little progress against the Japanese fortified emplacements. At the end of the first day of battle for D Company, which was actually the second day of the invasion, Corporal Spence's unit was exhausted and there had been many casualties. The gain in territory was measured in feet, but the company had at least penetrated the initial Japanese beach boundary, and they made it a little bit farther inland than anticipated before they dug into defensive positions for the night. It is unlikely that Corporal Spence lived long enough that day, long enough to see the sunset fall over Tarawa's bloody beaches. John Silas Spence was born in Indianola, Oklahoma. He was known as John to his family and friends. In 1930, John and his family were living in Bellevue, Oregon. During the late 30s and 1940s, and early 1940s, John's family apparently alternated residences between Oregon and California. At the time of the 1940 census, John was living with his parents, William and Ella Spence, and one younger brother on Sunset Avenue in Monterey, California. John's father was employed as a road laborer. John quit school after the eighth grade and went to work as a miner in a quicksilver mine. The family moved back to Oregon, where John's father found employment at the Chiloquin Lumber Company in Chiloquin, Oregon, or Chiloquin, ever how you pronounce that. John was accepted for enlistment in the United States Marine Corps in Klamath Falls, Oregon, and was formally sworn into the Marines in Portland, Oregon, on 2 October 1941. His term of enlistment was four years, and he was assigned the rank of private. Private Spence listed his father, Mr. William Spence, as his next of kin. He completed all of the necessary paperwork to receive $10,000 in U.S. government life insurance. Newly amended Private Spence listed his religion as Protestant in his military records, and the letter P for Protestant may have been imprinted on his United States Marine Corps identification disc 
or dog tags, which were issued to him on 30 December 1941. Private Spence had no tattoos, birthmarks, or previous injuries noted in his medical records. He did have three strange scars on the calf of his left leg, which each one was one inch in diameter. How he received these scars is a mystery. Private Spence had blue eyes and a ruddy complexion. His official United States Marine Corps photograph does contain a height chart to confirm his listed height as 68 and a quarter inches. His cap size was unknown, but he had 20-20 eyesight in both eyes. His last recorded dental examination was on 15 October 1942, when his chart noted two fillings, one extraction, and two wisdom teeth present. About the only other thing we know about Private Spence is that he was a cigarette smoker. Private Spence began his basic training with the 5th Recruit Battalion at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, California. After graduation from training on 29 November 1941, he was briefly assigned to the Casual Company, Guard Battalion, on the Marine Corps base there in San Diego. On 19 December 1941, Private Spence was was transferred to D Company, that's Delta or Dog Company, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, and assigned to Camp Elliott, San Diego. On 20 January 1942, Private Spence boarded the SS Lurline in San Diego Harbor for shipment to Pago Pago in American Samoa. Private Spence and his company remained in American Samoa until they boarded a ship in Pago Pago Harbor in September 1942. On 18 September 1942, Private Spence likely landed in the Solomon Islands on Guadalcanal. For four long months, the regiment relentlessly attacked the Japanese defenders and repulsed bonsai charges and suicidal attacks. Private Spence survived this campaign uninjured. He and his unit were withdrawn from Guadalcanal in February 1943 and transported to Wellington, New Zealand, for a period of rest, refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. Private Spence was promoted to Private First Class on 22 April 1943. On June 30, 1943, Private Spence received his semi-annual professional and conduct record, eh, kind of like an efficiency report, which was scored by his commanding officer on a scale of 0 to 5, for the five traits of 1. Military Efficiency Private Spence received a 4.5, Neatness in Military Bearing, 4.4, Intelligence, 4.5, Obedience, a perfect 5.0, and Sobriety, again, a perfect 5.0. Private First Class Spence was promoted to Corporal on 17 August 1943. By all accounts, he was a good, steady Marine with no disciplinary history, and he could be counted on to do his job. When he landed on Tarawa, he did just that until Japanese gunfire found its mark and John went down. Corporal Spence was listed on his United States Marine Corps casualty card as killed in action. This document lists gunshot wounds as his cause of death. The day after he was killed, when his fellow Marines had advanced even farther inland, Corporal Spence's body was found for the first time. He was identified and given a hasty burial by the battalion chaplain in the sand just behind the junction of Red Beach 1 and Red Beach 2. The chaplain dutifully recorded Corporal Spence's burial 
and what would later be designated as Grave Number 35, Row B, Cemetery 26. In Cemetery 26, Corporal Spence was buried next to Sergeant Osea Audette from Massachusetts on his left in Row B, Grave 34, and Private First Class Audie Centelli from Tennessee on his right in Row B, Grave 36. In fact, all of Corporal Spence's military records would record this exact burial location in grave number 35 without exception. Unlike many of our other MIA cases, Corporal Spence's burial location was a known fact and held no mystery. But, and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, Corporal Spence did not come home after the war. Corporal Spence lay in Cemetery 26 until he was exhumed by the American's Grave Registration Service, or AGRIS, personnel on 21 March 1946. This was the second time Corporal Spence would be found. Unfortunately, the American Graves Registration Service could not identify Corporal Spence in the field, as his dog tags could not be found in the burial trench in the sand, and he was designated as an unknown. Corporal Spence was reburied in Tarawa's Lone Palm Cemetery. On 20 December 1946, the American Graves Registration Service returned to Tarawa and disinterred all of the burials in Lone Palm Cemetery for concentration in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, sometimes known as the Punch Bowl. If identified and requested by the family, these individuals were shipped home. In March 1947, for the third time, American Graves Registration Service personnel again found the remains of Corporal Spence. However, once again, they could not identify him in the field using the rudimentary dental chart comparisons. Agris personnel transported Corporal Spence as an unknown for another examination by the Army Central Identification Laboratory in Hawaii. However, in Hawaii, Corporal Spence could again not be identified despite the Army's laboratory's best scientific efforts available at the time. It is likely that somewhere along the line of losing and finding Corporal Spence's remains on three different occasions at that point, the primary means of his identification at the time, his skull with its dentition, was lost. Corporal Spence's case remained substantially dormant in government files until I completed official investigative reports on all the Tarawa unknowns while a member of the Department of Defense in 2011 and 2012. I determined that Corporal Spence was a most likely match to only two unknowns who had been recovered from Cemetery 26 and were then buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery. Unfortunately, the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command did not act on my recommendations to exhume these unknowns. And it wasn't until October 2016 that the Tarawa unknowns were finally exhumed. It would be the fourth time that Corporal Spence would be found. So, where is Corporal Spence today? He's certainly not home with his family in Oregon. Well, Corporal Spence, the remains of Corporal Spence, lie in a cardboard box on the shelf of the Defense 
POW Accounting Agency Laboratory Storage Room in Hawaii, along with the backlog of over 1,100 American servicemen and women whose recovered sets of remains await identification by the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. The average time for identification after remains are received by this laboratory is reported to be 11 years. Well, in case you're wondering about the other two Marines originally buried on either side of Corporal Spence in Cemetery 26 on Tarawa, Sergeant Ardette remains unresolved, just like Corporal Spence, and he is also undoubtedly an unknown previously buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery who has not yet been identified by the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency Laboratory. On the other side of Corporal Spence, Private First Class Centelli was originally designated as an unknown, but he was identified by the Army Central Identification Laboratory in Hawaii in 1949, and he returned home to his family in Camp Creek, Tennessee. Hopefully, someday soon, Corporal John Silas Spence will finally be identified by the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory using what the JPAC lab once called voodoo science. And the fourth time found will be Corporal Spence's last. Let's all pray that the fourth time will be the charm for Corporal Spence and another American hero will finally come home. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. Today's episode was from case number 0439 of the actual investigative case files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. Our foundation is dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. We hope you've enjoyed today's production and we invite you to check out our other episodes. Please subscribe for free to Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you prefer to listen to podcasts so that you will always be notified when a new episode is ready. We will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action every Saturday just for you. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. You sure don't want to miss our next exciting episode on No Home for Heroes. We have another true story available for you about one of our missing American heroes. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.